Welcome to The Application, a podcast focused on actionable takeaways to help you level up your marketing and enrollment management game. I'm your host, Dr. Allison Tercio, Assistant Vice President of Enrollment and Marketing at Siena College. Join me every Tuesday for discussions with some of the best minds in higher ed marketing and enrollment management. The application is part of the Enrollify Network, a robust collection of podcasts designed to help higher ed professionals like you grow. Explore our other shows at enrollify.org or check out some of my personal faves linked in the show notes below. Enrollify is made possible by Element 451, the leading AI-powered all-in-one student engagement platform, helping institutions create meaningful, personalized, and engaging interactions with students Learn more at element451.com. In this episode, we're diving into a topic that's critical for every marketer in the digital age, web accessibility. In a world where inclusivity and diversity are paramount, ensuring that our digital presence is accessible to all is not just a moral imperative or a legal imperative, but also a strategic one. Today, we have a guest who's at the forefront of this topic, Raman Bala, the AVP of University Web Services at Rochester Institute of Technology. So if you're eager to unlock the full potential of, of your online presence, reach a wider audience, and level up your marketing game, stay tuned and welcome Raman. Hi, Allison. This is really exciting. I, I want to start by a little bit broadly. I know everyone look for, looks forward to this podcast because we get into the nitty gritty and the how to, but I think we have to start broadly and talk a little bit about the impact and the potential of website accessibility. And so why is website accessibility critical for higher ed institutions, critical for us as higher ed marketers to understand, and, and how does it directly benefit our students? So thanks for having me on the podcast. This is exciting. This is a topic that is very important for me. This is a topic that's very important for my university. So I'm appreciative of the opportunity to share. One of the reasons this topic is quite important to me and to RIT is that we are home to the National Technical Institute for the Deaf, also known as NTID, and that has more than 1,100 deaf and hard of hearing students from around the world, and many of whom live, study, and work alongside the hearing students on the main campus. So accessibility is something that is paramount to us. And, you know, it it really just starts with regulations and legal. So the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, that requires businesses open to public to ensure that their websites are accessible to people with disabilities. And we also have the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 that requires universities that receive federal funding, and I think that's most of universities, to make the electronic and information technology accessible to people with disabilities. So that's just the legal stuff. But frankly, beyond the legal stuff, there's ethical implications. Web accessibility enables individuals with visual, hearing, cognitive, or motor impairments to perceive, navigate, and interact with websites. It promotes equal opportunity by enabling people with disabilities to access the content on the web. And it uh, aligns with the values of inclusivity and diversity that most universities strive to uphold. 
So essentially, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Can you talk about sort of those bare minimum requirements, the legal requirements, but then what are some of the additional measures that we need to be thinking about to make sure we, we are being truly accessible and truly inclusive? Yeah, you know, this this is a really interesting space where doing the right thing is actually good, very good for your business as well. Accessible websites tend to be more user-friendly. They have clearer navigation and they have a more logical structure. So that, that benefits everyone. Many of the accessibility techniques, and we'll talk about quite a few, but, you know, for example, all text or descriptive headings, those align with good SEO practices as well. So web accessibility can help improve your search engine rankings. And we all, you know, we all want that. In addition to the benefits to the users, web accessibility has several business benefits. So according to the CDC, about 61 million adults in the United States live with a disability. According to the World Health Organization, 15% of the planet's population struggles with some form of disability. So you can imagine by making websites accessible, universities are increasing their potential customer base and they're demonstrating their commitment to inclusivity. So it can have a positive brand reputation impact as well, right? So it's a win-win. You make your stuff accessible and it's good for you. I was recently attending a webinar by OHO Interactive, and they were talking about how students search for college. And funny enough, a lot of them start with Google, you know, what's who has the best psychology program in the Northeast, that kind of thing. But a lot of them are using AI now too to start answering those questions. But the second thing that they do is they go to the college's website. So what you're saying has implications for two of those things. One, that the search engine optimization, right? That you're coming up for what the student is searching for. But two, then when they get to your website, what is that experience like for them? We really have to be putting ourselves in their shoes, it feels like. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned AI. You know, we are all at a stage where we're trying to figure out how to leverage AI to improve our material online and there's just not a whole lot of clear answers out there like chat gpt is not obviously going to reveal anytime soon what their sources are and how they train their sites but the general understanding is if you have a good structure on your website that gets scraped and picked up so you know it, it's just it goes in tandem with seo it's good for uh, feeding ai data sources as well are there any newer or emergence, emerging standards or guidelines that maybe not everyone knows about that we need to be aware of and be attentive to? I think that's a, what, I, what I would say is that everyone should know. Everyone who's in this space should know. Uh, I'm not sure everybody does, but I think just having gone to um, you know conferences lately over the last couple of years, I, I see a lot more interest. I see a lot of people um, having a high level of familiarity, but I also see a lot of people at the point where they're just now starting to ask questions. So they might be a little bit behind the curve, but that's okay. They're starting to uh, ask the questions and starting to learn more. So there are standards that are out there. Most organizations, even beyond universities, they tend to follow a standard called web Content Accessibility Guidelines, WCAG. We call it WCAG. 
and it's set, set forth by the W3C organization. They're the ones that are sort of leading the charge, and it's a very well-published guideline and standard. So they've had something out. The standard 2.1, WCAG 2.1, was the most recent version, which was originally published in 2018. And they've been keeping it up to date with enhancements and as they learn more and get feedback. And W3C had planned to publish version 2.2 as a completed standard this year. And I was on their website today, and I want to say it went live just this week, quite possibly today. Yeah, so it's real interesting. And, you know, we're going to start looking at what that entails. Um, we've had some people in my team keep an eye out uh, on it just to make sure there's not drastic changes and we're still learning but we do know it's going to be backwards compatible next the standard we will get is probably going to be a very major revision it's going to be wcag3 it's in the exploratory phase right now our understanding is it's going to have a different structure it's going to have a different conformance model and much broader scope so there's going to be a lot of learning to do when that standard comes out and there's going to be a lot of work to be done to then conform to that standard. And I imagine doing the work to conform to where the standard's in now probably sets you up for an easier time when the, those ones come out. So we, we really need to be working at this a, as we speak, even when even though something new is forthcoming. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you're conforming to the current standard, you are going to be much better placed to uh, address the new standards when they come out. I'd love to dive in a bit on RIT and, and some examples because I know our listeners love examples. So can you share a success story or an example of how RIT or another school too has significantly been able to improve accessibility of their website? Yeah, absolutely. So in 2019, about four years back, we launched the university's web presence the way it exists today. And it was the first time we undertook a comprehensive redesign of all university websites. You know, it's a, it's a fairly large university. We had 800 plus web properties, which is quite a bit. And they had grown in a very ad hoc way for over two decades. And a lot of that stuff was not accessible. I mean, it had lots of issues, obviously, given their age, but certainly accessibility was one of them because many of them were created before there were standards, before there was any awareness. So during our redesign process, we followed the web content accessibility guidelines to inform our design. And by incorporating it right from the beginning of our development and design phase, we found some really good success. Our core web presence now scores well above the education industry benchmark when it comes to website accessibility. And we weren't really looking to beat any benchmarks. We just wanted our stuff to be accessible. But just because we did it from the ground up, Rather than fixing old sites, we just put out new sites that were not only built on new technology and new branding, but they happen to be accessible right out of the box. So that, I think, is certainly a success story. But what's more meaningful is when you get some kind of feedback from a user that is actually impacted by the... You know, you know, we, I heard from somebody a few weeks back and they pointed out something so obvious, something that people without disabilities just take for granted. And that person had some disability and they really appreciated that we put in the effort to address that one thing. And that was so meaningful 
to me. And, you know, that's just one example where somebody shared something specific with me, but I know and I'm hoping that there's several people out there that are just benefiting from the things that we are doing. I, everyone who listens to this podcast or any of the episodes, I think knows by now, I'm a very audience-centered approach kind of marketer, student-centered, audience-centered, whoever the audience might be. And I love this idea of starting with the standards instead of building something and then trying to go in and sort of layer them on and fix everything so that they're meeting the standards because it's actually a very audience-centered approach to to start there because you're already thinking about how other people and different types of people will be able to access the content that you're putting out there. Yeah, you know, I, I would say we were just very lucky in that situation where we had that opportunity where the university went through rebranding, we were looking at our web presence, so everything kind of aligned. But I think if you have a web presence that's actively working for you and you don't have any plans to make major changes, I don't think that should hold you back from making it accessible. It's a different approach, but it, it should old or new, it should certainly be accessible. How do you find your accessibility score? How can people go and get their accessibility score to see how they're doing? So that's a really interesting um, question. There is no test per se. There is no one single authority that gives you a pass or a fail. In the end, really, who's who's the best judge is people with disabilities. And, you know, there's going to be different people with different types of disabilities and different levels of disabilities. We use a tool, it's called Sight Improve, uh, and we'll probably talk about that again. And that tool is used by lots of for-profit, non-for-profit, and also higher ed organizations. So they provide you with a score. Now, this score is only specific to them, but you know, they have a really large user base. So we kind of use their scores to benchmark. Feels like it's important to have a baseline as you're embarking on this. You have to know where you need to improve, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So what are some specific actionable steps? I, I want you to picture this. I'm going to end this podcast when we're done having this little chat. And I'm going to walk into my team that works on the website, and I'm going to tell them to look for what? I'm going to tell them to take what step? I imagine for almost any college, there's perhaps some low-hanging fruit out there that we can just go and, and start taking care of right away. So what are some of those steps that we should be thinking about to be more inclusive and accessible? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think it begins with having a truly an understanding and appreciation for web accessibility. You need to know it is necessary. And that includes generating broad awareness among key stakeholders who are responsible for building and maintaining the website at your university. You know, there are going to be web designers, there are going to be web developers, and their content publishers. These are the folks that are going to do the work. Uh, but it's also important to generate awareness for university leadership because you're going to need their support when it comes to getting resources. Uh, but once uh, awareness is established and you have the resources, what you would want to do is have these stakeholders or have some somebody assigned dedicated to understanding the standards and understanding the requirements, what is needed to make the website accessible. You know, it's not like a quick checklist, it's a rather involved process. So you'd want to spend some resources and allocate some time for that. Once you have that understanding, then 
that's when the actual work starts. You begin the work, you put those features in, you do the coding, you whatever you need to do to make the sites accessible. And in tandem with doing the work, I think it's very important to develop a documented process that can be followed. Uh, if you're doing it in an ad hoc way, chances of failure are higher. But if you have it documented, you will, I think, have a, a better chance at making your sites accessible. We developed a pretty documented, pretty well documented and comprehensive process to manage our web accessibility, and it was shared pretty broadly. So folks who needed to know their slice, they knew. And then sort of in the development side of things, we are a Drupal shop. That's what we use. So what we did was we developed a base Drupal theme that has all the necessary accessibility features. So in your case, if you're using a different content management system or no content management system, or hopefully you are using a content management system because of you know, how it makes sense. But you're going to want to put in those features in your base code. So when we build new sites using a base theme, almost out of the box, they are accessible. In addition to our documented um, process, we also came up with guidelines and checklists for our web developers to follow as they build these websites. Before a site is launched, it is checked for accessibility compliance. We use the online tools like Site Improve. We also use browser plugins. And after the site is launched, and now you'll have a number of sites, number of web properties, we use the tools to continuously scan existing sites for issues. So in addition to all of this automated stuff, the, the tools have limitations. So to compensate for limitations, we actually spot check at least a high visibility sites. So I think those are some of the things that you would want to do. It's a staged approach. You wouldn't be doing all of these things together. But like I said, starts with awareness and then put in the resources, get an understanding of what needs to be done, then do the work. And then put in some processes that ensure that the work that you've done, the integrity is maintained through the life cycle of the website. What you're proposing to me sounds like a systematic approach and a systemic approach that it's not just, okay, today let's go check some sites, make sure the alt text on the photos here are good. You really have a, a plan for what you're looking for and who's going to go find those issues and fix those issues and then constantly be checking to make sure that's been accomplished. I, I, that's really adm admirable. Yeah, you know, you, it, it's if you want to do it the right way, you it, it really has to be done that way. And, you know, we, we talk quite a bit about, you know, web developers, but let's talk about others who play a role. So content publishers and editors, they have a role. What we did was we weren't expecting that our content editors would know about web accessibility. So we made content editing training mandatory. No giving access to edit sites until you've gone through this mandatory training, which completely covers the web ex accessibility expectations as well. So you're giving them the tools, they can break stuff and give them the tools they need to avoid those pitfalls. We also did something that was a little, I want to say adventurous, but I think it's working out real, really well. It was, we decided to limit content editing access only to frequent editors. And we've actually seen some really good success with that. Uh, this has several advantages that go beyond accessibility too. Because people who are doing this often, they're going to have a higher level of familiarity with best practices. And that's going to lead to a better product. 
And that includes accessibility. Yeah, I, I know we hear all the time the people who have editing access, but they're only in once a year or twice a year. It's like they have to relearn the whole thing every time that they log in. So they even that is a barrier. But then adding on, oh, also remember all of this web accessibility things that you have to remember as you're doing the web content editing that that's another layer they're probably never even going to get to. I think that's a really smart approach. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I presented on this topic at the EDU Web Summit in Washington, D.C., where, you know, you were one of the co-planners with me. And there were so many questions about limiting access. I was frankly surprised because it looked like many of the attendees, they were thinking, how can we leverage this and limit content editing on our end as well, just because they know the benefits. And, you know, it's hard because you are going to get pushback. It's really hard to say no. It's much harder to just give access and, you know, just be done with it. But I think once you start explaining to content editors the level of responsibility that is expected of them, I'm hoping that that works to let them make the decision, do I want this level of access? That comes with responsibility. Well, how did you solve for that? So if they didn't have access anymore, but they want to be able to have, you know, content updates specific to their program or whatnot, how did you solve for that? So this obviously goes beyond accessibility, but this is something that I care about a lot. I care about giving access to the people who have the background and the skill set. So we've tried to, with some pretty good success, identify key people in our different areas, in our colleges and in our administrative divisions. These are the folks that are responsible for the work. They know how to do it. They know how to do it well. They don't need to be trained over and over. We don't need to remind them, this is where you need to go to log in. Because you know, you mentioned that, right? You, If you're editing a site once a year, you're not going to remember even the bookmark. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to remember your password. Unless it's single sign-on, then that'll save you. <laughs> right, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So I think, you know, I think that's that's leading to a better product all, uh, overall. Another thing that we are doing is we are in the process of creating a new position that is going to be dedicated to web accessibility. And, you know, that just expresses the understanding our senior leadership have of the importance of this topic. So this position will serve as the university's lead web accessibility expert. They will manage the maintenance and enhancements of the guidelines and best practices for our stakeholders because, you know, these things are not static. They change. As I mentioned, new standard just came out this week and then big changes coming. They will translate some of these guidelines for our designers and for our coders to influence the development of centralized assets. So not everybody needs to go and do research and have an understanding of a great complicated set of requirements. Have one person who can then do the translation for you. And the tool that we use, it gets used pretty broadly, but then it has a lot of users. Those users need to be added to the platform. Those users need to be provide training. There's turnover enrolled. So this position will also manage that suite of tools, provide the training to use the tools. And we are going to assign the responsibility of tracking all university websites to this one person. They will track them through the tools and they will analyze the reports that are generated. If we have 500 sites, you can imagine just the amount of time it would take to analyze the reports 
and make sense of the recommendations that is it's a pretty meaningful amount of time so we wanted a position dedicated to that they will go and fix the issues themselves wherever possible so they'll have the technical capabilities of doing that but in some cases they might need to communicate issues to others you know some higher level decisions need to be made or some content changes that they are not able to make on their own and while communicating these changes to others they're also going to develop follow-up and resolution plans so that's kind of important it's not simply communicating the changes to somebody it's also making sure there's some follow-up to recognize and document that the issue was truly addressed yeah one of the reasons i really wanted to have you in particular on this podcast to talk about this is because i think for the marketer side we can be those advocates and help educate the senior leadership on the importance of this. I mean, RIT, you guys are rocking. You do such a great comprehensive and systematic approach to this because you've done that work, right? You've done the work of convincing everybody and it's a mission fit for RIT so so closely. And you know, as we started out by saying this is the right thing to do. So I think one of the roles that higher ed marketers need to play is one, being the voice, helping to be the voice and advocate of this is important and we need to resource this. And two, we are often major content editors of the website. So we need to be doing it right. We need to earn our right to be the top editors of the website in a way. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? I think people recognize that. And as a result, we have not got too much pushback when we've said, you know, it's a it's a conversation. Do you really need access? Here's what all you'll have to do. Here's the accountability. Yeah, here's what that means. And, and we really let people pick. And if they say, you know, I'm going to be making edits a couple times a month and I'm happy to have this responsibility, uh, absolutely fine. But, you know, I think people come to the realization, hey, I'm just going to be doing this a couple of times a year. I can simply ask somebody who's dedicated to this in our area or go to central marketing to make this change. And I think that works out fine. And to your earlier point, yes, generating awareness among leadership is important. That's why I mentioned when you said, if I can go back, what's the one thing I can do? Generate awareness. Uh, Because you can't go to finance or senior leadership and ask for funding unless they have a pretty good understanding of what this thing is. And that, that takes a little bit of time. Yeah, it does. It does. It, you can't just go in with the budget request. I think we all, I think we've all tried that by now. I think <laughs> it doesn't work out. You have to really, you have to have an understanding. And I think framing it as this is for our students, right? This is for our students. This isn't just because Raman wants it. This this is important. It's important, and it's important for the mission of the college. I think those are two really strong points that we can make. Right. Yeah. You know, of course, there's the legal aspect as well. And there might be some financial obligations if you're not doing the right thing. So I think it kind of works out. It's not the hardest thing to sell. I think this, frankly, might be one of the easier, easier things to explain to senior leadership why it's important. Yeah, I agree with that. We have time for one more question. I think the one that I want to touch on, you've mentioned a couple different tools or resources, but are there any tools, platforms, resources that we should be paying attention to that either help us do this or help us to stay updated on the latest developments in web accessibility? 
Yeah, so, you know, I mentioned Site Improve. That's a tool they use. And it looks like they're getting a lot of free promotion out of this podcast, right? We should get a sponsorship here. <laughs> yeah, it is It is actually a pretty good platform. We use it for more than web accessibility. It also covers quality assurance and SEO. And sometimes those things go hand in hand. Very easy to use. We've used it for a number of years, but it is not a free resource. There are some free tools out there and we've evaluated them. Is none that I can feel comfortable endorsing because you get what you pay for. And there are several browser plugins that don't cost anything, but they require you to do much manual scanning to do identification of issues. So if you have a pretty spread out web presence, which, you know, several universities, most universities do, you have a lot of web properties, you really need to invest in a platform that automates some of your work because there is much manual work to be done. But whatever can be automated, you really should do that. That's actually great advice, because if this is something that we need to invest in, we don't all need to be wasting our time trying out the free tools that we should really be considering this an investment that's that's important and that can help us do this work. Thank you so much for joining us, Raman. This was a really great conversation and very helpful and insightful. Thanks for having me. Great talking to you, Allison. I hope this episode has equipped all of you with some practical strategies and has started getting you thinking about what role you can play in enhancing website accessibility. Remember the first step, got to go get awareness, right, Raman? Absolutely. Get an understanding. So subscribe to the podcast for more actionable insights, and I'll see you next time. The application is part of the Enrollify podcast network. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month and we've got a plethora of marketing, enrollment, and higher ed tech shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks, all designed to empower you to be a better higher ed professional. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea and they feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Jamie Hunt, Seth O'Dell, Day Kibbles, Jeremy Tears, and so many other of your favorite higher ed leaders. And Rollify is made possible by Element 451, the leading AI-powered, all-in-one student engagement platform, helping institutions create meaningful, personalized, and engaging interactions with students. Learn more at element451.com.